Hi, and welcome to Figure of Speech, a program from WRBH where every week you can meet local poets and fiction writers from the New Orleans community and listen to them share their work. This episode, we welcome on poet Benjamin Morris. Take a listen. Well, hello. My name is Benjamin Morris, and it is a great pleasure to be joining you today on Figures of Speech. My thanks, of course, to WRBH and to David for having me in to uh, bring some poetry to uh, this wonderful listenership uh, on this beautiful day. Uh, for those of us who haven't met, uh, I'm a poet who lives here in New Orleans. I was born and raised in Mississippi, uh, but live now uh, and have for many, for many years here in, in the Crescent City. Uh, but for the uh, greater part of my, of my 20s, I had the great pleasure of living in the United Kingdom for about six or seven years while I was in graduate school. And first in Scotland and then in England, um, in Edinburgh and then in Cambridge. And while I was there, I uh, was able to form a great many um, friendships and connections to and immersions in uh, the landscape of contemporary British poetry. It was a great joy. I loved it very much and was able to encounter some of the best poets that I've ever heard uh, living and working today. And so what I wanted to do uh, for everyone out there in Radioland was to bring you some of these poets and some of these poems that don't normally make their way across the pond, uh, despite, of course, uh, sharing a common language and despite sharing a literary tradition that goes back to Shakespeare and Keats and John Donne and um, Afrobin and all the rest, it's still unfortunately true that not all of the work that's being written and published today on either side of the pond necessarily makes that transatlantic crossing. So we wanted to fix that. We wanted to step in and say, okay, what can we do uh, to educate our uh, listenership and our readership and to expose um, those who love contemporary poetry to some voices that, that they may not have heard before. So what we're going to do today is we're going to take a little tour. Uh, in the first part of this segment, we are going to start in Scotland. We'll spend a little time there with five or six poets um, who write north of the border. I do not attempt an accent. I would, I'm afraid I would drive away too many of you out there if I were to do that. Um, and then what we'll do is we'll move south of the border in the second segment. We'll go down to England and hear from some contemporary English poets. So um, thank you so much for joining me. I hope you uh, get a lot out of these, these poets and poems. They are absolutely marvelous, I believe, and I hope you share, uh, share the pleasure in them. So here we go. First poet that I want to bring uh, to everyone is Norman McCaig. Wonderful uh, now deceased, unfortunately, he died in 1996, um, Scottish poet who was one of the true lions of 20th century uh, Scottish poetry up there with Sorley MacLean and George Mackay Brown, uh, if you know those names. Um, McCaig was famous uh, for his dry wit, his very piercing intelligence. He worked as a teacher for many years. Uh, in uh, Scottish public schools, um, what, well, what we would call public schools, what uh, in the UK they would call state schools. And not only was he famous for uh, teaching, he was also famous for hill walking, for mountain climbing, and of course, being a good Scottish poet, for uh, taking up a residence at the Rose Pub, the famous Rose Pub in Edinburgh, 
uh, many nights of the week and holding court there and entertaining his friends and, and admirers. So this is a book, uh, this is a poem from his book, um, The Riding Lights. This poem is called Summer Farm. Summer Farm. Straws like tame lightnings lie about the grass and hang zigzag on hedges. Green as glass, the water in the horse trough shines. Nine ducks go wobbling by in two straight lines. A hen stares at nothing with one eye, then picks it up. Out of an empty sky, a swallow falls, and flickering through the barn, dives up again into the dizzy blue. I lie not thinking in the cool, soft grass, afraid of where a thought might take me. As this grasshopper with plated face unfolds his legs and finds himself in space. Self under self, a pile of cells I stand, threaded on time, and with metaphysic hand lift the farm like a lid and see, farm within farm, and in the center, me. Marvelous. Just think about that one line. A hen stares at nothing with one eye then picks it up. Absolutely fantastic. Okay, I uh, hope you enjoyed that one. Let us move on to Kathleen Jamie. Kathleen Jamie, still living, uh, is marvelous, marvelous poet and nonfiction writer as well. Uh, Jamie is uh, perhaps most famous for having walked solo across Afghanistan as a younger woman and come back and written a book about it. Um, incredible expedition, probably not something that could be done today uh, with, with, such, um, with such ease, um, but she did it, and it's an amazing, amazing experience. This poem is uh, called Basking Shark, and this comes from her 2004 book, The Treehouse, which uh, won the Forward Prize for Poetry that year. It's a major prize in the UK, and ja Jamie has always been very interested in the natural world, and this poem is a wonderful example of that. So this is called Basking Shark by Kathleen Jamie. When I came to the cliff edge and lay down, all beneath was space, then green-tinted sea so clear it revealed, level below level, not void, but a living creature. Behind me, Pete Moore careered inland. I gripped sweet rock, but it was only resting, birthed as though drawn by the cliff's peculiar backwash, precisely that its oar-heavy body and head, the tail fin measuring back, forth like a haunted door, could come to sense the absolute limits of its realm. Thank you, Kathleen. Thank you so very much. Next, what we have is John Glenday. Uh, John Glenday is a very interesting poet. He um, works as an addictions counselor, actually, in the, the Highlands of Scotland. And when uh, this book, Grain, uh, came out in 2009, it had been 
something like 14 years since his previous collection. Um, clearly, he'd taken a lot of time just to study and to think and to write without feeling the pressure of publishing, and the results were uh, absolutely worth it. This book was released to wide, wide acclaim, both in Scotland and in the wider UK. Um, this is the poem that I'm going to read. is called St. Orage, and it's a poem about Scotland's saints, uh, not uh, St. Andrew of the Saltire Cross or much less St. George of the English Cross, uh, whose, whose crosses together, of course, form the Union Jack. Um, but St. Orage is a poem about some of the lesser-known saints. So listen to this poem, and I hope you enjoy. I'll try to read it so that you can hear the mischief uh, in, in the piece. St. Orage. Preserve us, St. Orage, you whose image stares down on our weed-snagged railway sidings and choked factory yards, whose relics crumble in a cardboard box in a hampered lockup somewhere. We await your word. St. Edfast and St. Alwart, we rely on you to indicate the good path, however stony. Lead us not into that rock-strewn gully clogged with St. Randed's bones. O Lord, we know your faithful knew more deaths than we had fingers. St. Eiffel and St. Rangel and St. Arving and St. Ab all flew into your mercy through their desperate anguishes. But most of all, remember us yourselves, forgotten saints we here commemorate, St. Agar, of the drunken, brawling praise, St. Aimless martyred on the lopped branch of his perfect life. St. Anza, stunned by her own reverberating song, and blameless, immaculate St. Igmata, dead and forgiving child, who even in the crib, they say, held up her little punctured hands in wonder and in ignorance and cried. Next, we're going to move up a little further north from the highlands of Scotland, past uh, the Outer Hebrides, past the Orkney Islands, and up into the Shetland Islands, where we have a poem by Jen Hadfield from her book, Nigh No Place. Uh, this book came out a number of years ago, uh, and uh, I believe was one of the first uh, Shetlandic or part Shetlandic books uh, to reach really universal um, acclaim down in the rest of the country. Uh, Shetlandish, for those of you who might not be familiar uh, with the language um, or the dialect, is a mixture of, sort of English, Scots, Scandinavian tongues and something all its very own. And when you hear it today, it's extremely unique. Um, you, would, you would be... Uh, it takes a little listening uh, for the ear to, to pick it up. So here's a poem called Paternoster by Jen Hadfield, and it has um, some Shetlandish in it. If I were to, if I were to put all of it in there, I, I'm not sure I could get through the poem it's, uh, or through the piece. It's quite a language, but there are still a number of people still writing in it today, so you can look that up if you'd like. Okay, Paternoster by Jen Hadfield. Paternoster, Paternoster, hallowed be thy main, thy kingdom come, thy draft work be done, Still plow the day and give out daily bray, though heart stiffen in the harness. Then sleep hang harness with bare bells and trot on bravely into sleep, where the black and the bay, the sorrel and the gray, and foals and bearded wheat are waiting. 
it is on earth as it is in heaven. Drought, wildfire, wild asparagus, yellow flowers on the flowering cactus. Give our daily wheat wet whiskers in the sonorous bucket. Knead my heart, hardened daily, healed hoofprint in my heart. Give us our oats at bedtime and in the night, half sleeping. Paternoster, paternoster, hallowed be thy hot mash. Jim Hadfield from the Isles of Shetland. The last poem I'm going to read from Scotland is, I'm going to cheat, and I'm going to read a poet, a poem by an American poet who lives in Scotland, uh, my good friend uh, Ryan Van Winkle. Uh, Ryan has now lived in Edinburgh for as many years, I believe, as he was um, resident in the United States, so I suppose that makes him Scottish in a way. Anyway, I want to read this poem from his new book, uh, The Good Dark, which was published by Penned in the Margins a couple of years ago. Um, it's a beautiful poem called After the Service. So here we go, After the Service by Ryan Van Winkle. Thank you so much for your attention. Thank you for joining me on a brief tour around Scotland. And here we go, After the Service. It is not compound interest. It is the belief in compound interest, the reaping we share or avoid as we accept and deny death. We think of atoms or protons or quarks. We count to a trillion with metaphors right round the earth. But the spring of black mucus does not make a boy believe. The rain comes to wash away snow. For years, Mom kept Gran's lungs in a box beneath the dogwood tree only she could see from the kitchen, washing dishes, frying a simple egg that will lay in the belly, get buried there so solid for a while, forgotten by the time lunch rolls around. And when the day comes to unbury her lungs, I present the lights. Dad's face is a veil, Peter's shoulders drape. She's soaking salt, sky black, snotty clouds pull apart. If she got to heaven, if she went down, her lamp still on, but she's not reading. She's scratching her chest. Lord knows. And we found dust, wrote our childish names with small fingers, put out the lights, eyes wet with belief. Thank you. We'll come back in a moment and head to England. Welcome back. Uh, this is Benjamin Morris taking you on a tour of contemporary British and Scottish and English poetry here on Figures of Speech. Uh, we have just finished our brief tour of Scotland, so now we're going to head south of the border. We're going to head down into England and meet a few contemporary poets there. The first one we're going to meet is Helen Mort, uh, one of my oldest and dearest friends. Uh, we first met in Cambridge about 10 or 12 years ago as part of that city's very vibrant uh, poetry scene and quickly formed uh, a close friendship and maybe just a bit of a rivalry. Her poems were always much better than mine. I do have to go ahead and say that. Um, but we had a great deal of fun writing and reading together and, and collaborating on various things. Uh, Helen is an exceptional poet. She's also uh, a climber and a runner. And she 
frequently writes about uh, these things in her work, about sport and adventure and exploration, about the limits of the body unto death. This poem that I'm going to read for you from, from her is a poem about just those things. It's called The Coffin Path, and it comes from her first full collection, Division Street, published by Chatto and Windus. So, Helen Mort, Coffin Path. Who'd jog along the coffin path? Most evenings, only me, hurrying between the huddled trees, boulders streaked with rain, the bowed heads of the ferns on stones worn treacherous by centuries, men shouldering the dead from Ambleside. Today, the dark's grown courteous. Shadows seem to step aside to let me pass, just like that summer afternoon in Cambridge when a hearse gave way to me near Jesus Lane and I sprinted on, noting the driver, black-capped, glancing at his watch, certain he'd overtake before too long. The Coffin Path by Helen Mort. This next poem I want to read comes from the wonderful Cumbrian poet Jacob Polly. Jake, to those call him friend, Jake is an excellent, very vivid, uh, very precise poet. And I want to read this poem almost without any introduction. It comes from his first book, uh, The Brink, which came out about 10 years ago um, from Picador. Uh, this poem is about an England which for now lives in our imagination, but may not stay there forever. So this is called The North-South Divide. The North-South Divide fills with flood water. The bowels of Scotland lift clear of the Atlantic, cod roam the East Anglian plains, kelp throttles Sherwood, the chimneys of the Midlands slowly barnacle, Cumbria tilts, Congers lie in catacombs, cold wiring our relics, our king's bones. A whale hangs a moment singing in the vault of St. Paul's. Men dive through their southern libraries where crabs unpick the calfskin of our histories. Stratford under Avon is swanless and riptidal. Hagfish haunt Leicester Square. Anglerfish twinkle through Trafalgar's oyster beds. Look from Manchester out to sea. The South you knew from quiz shows and road maps, from nursery rhymes and bad news, is gathering a storm to its heaving, gull-broached, heavy-breakered bosom. Jacob Polly, The North-South Divide. It hasn't happened yet, but it might. Okay, next on our list is... Tim Liarday. Tim Liarday is a marvelous poet who, for many years, has worked in a young offender's prison in the south of England. Um, I wanted to bring this poem to our listenership here in Louisiana because, unfortunately, as you know, here in Louisiana, we have a fairly well-developed um, penal complex. Um, history of criminal justice in this state is regrettably uh, much more extensive than many of us would, would like. And 
it's very very rare to come across someone who lives here who doesn't have a friend or um, an acquaintance or even a family member incarcerated for some reason. And our hearts go out to those men and women. I wanted to bring this poem uh, to you because I knew it would find some resonance here. Uh, this book, The Blood Choir, uh, by Tim, Tim Liardé, uh, came out of his work in this prison. And uh, even to this day, Tim will frequently say that the poems are not wholly of his own making. Some of them were written in direct collaboration uh, with these young men and women. Some of them were his, and sometimes it's difficult to tell which is which. Uh, this poem that I want to share with you is called The Vaults. So The Vaults by Tim Liardé. Down, down, deeper and deeper down, entering the prison's underground chamber where fear is a sort of aloe sapping the tongue on the brink of zero hour. Every heavy iron gate which has to be unlocked and locked wails on its hinges, wails for its want of lubrication, then clank echoes shut, then clank echoes shut, the last of eight heavy gates behind us clank echoes shut. Claustrophobia, no falsifying dream, it is as if we are welded into the hold, the lid in its seals, and the chamber itself is about to flood, to flood, armed with counted pencils, protractors, and done. We are somber when we move up in masks to our places as a high-pitched, intensifying note, become intolerable, passes out of human hearing. Extraordinary. Seeing it on the page is, uh, you see that when he says, armed with counted pencils, protractors, and Dunn, it's actually John Dunn, the poet John Dunn he's speaking of. Um, again, uh, describing these experiences with his students. So there is a note of hope. There is a note of hope in education, even in such dark places. So the vaults from Tim Liardé's the Blood Choir. Next, I want to take us to London, because what is a trip to Great Britain without a trip to London? Except I'm not going to take you to the London of Big Ben and um, uh, Westminster Abbey. I want to take you to a slightly different London. This poem comes from the wonderful poet Hannah Lowe, L-O-W-E. Uh, her book, Chick, which is a book about her father. Her father was a half-black, half-Chinese gambler who actually gambled to support his family when, when she was growing up. And many of the poems in this book are about him. His nickname was Chick, hence the title. And it takes us into a very different London than the one we normally see, as they would say, on holiday, um, on vacation. So here is a uh, poem about her father. This is called Five Ways to Load a Dice by Hannah Lowe. Five ways to load a dice. Like the yellowed cubes of knuckle bone, they plucked from slag and ashes at Pompeii, speared with pig bristle or flint to slow the roll. Or like your father in the rattling alleys of Shanghai, who smelt his sweat among the shooters crouched like toads around the felt, who breathed into his palms to warm the wax he'd painted on. These ways are old. Now juice joints play electric dice, magnetic wood lice curled inside, or tappers 
hollow chambers filled with mercury that slips from slide to slide. In our house, dice the green of emeralds or ruby red like cola cubes were hidden in a biscuit tin behind the scarves and parkas in the cupboard in the hall. There were rooms we didn't go in, but I saw you once, the door ajar, the curtains drawn against the sun. You were huddled like a scholar in the lamplight, goggles in a dentist's drill, a pan of smoking lead, that smell. Five Ways to Load a Dice by Hannah Lowe. The last poem that I'm going to, to share with you is from one of my favorite poets of all time in the UK, a poet named David Harsant, um, of a slightly older generation than some of the poets I've, I've been reading um, for the past few minutes. One who is fiercely dedicated to craft and who is uh, famous for his Orphic visions, his dreamscapes, uh, the way in which he constructs wild journeys that come from places unimagined or unrecognized, um, and yet brings those into a rigorous form uh, which hurtles the poem along at an unrelenting pace. Um, this poem that I'm going to, to share with you is called Ballad um, from his book Night. I absolutely uh, adore this, this collection, and I hope you get a chance to read it. It will leave you unsettled, it will leave you disturbed, it will leave you harrowed, but it will also leave you strangely appreciative of the journey. So this book, this poem, a ballad, um, is in a traditional meter, it's in a traditional form, and I will let it speak for itself. So this is David Harsant, Ballad. As I walked by the riverside, death came up to me. He said, this river runs, my friend, to a deep and darkening sea. And what goes over at the weir can never come again, whether it be sweetheart's ease or whether it be pain. All the tears shed in the world will trickle to this flow, and what that weight of weeping tells only I can know. Watch how the river thickens now and carries with the flood sweat from mines and factories, from battlefields, the blood, spittle from the prison yard and from the graveyard clay, and all the work of evil hands that can't be washed away. The milt and meltings of the drowned caught up with butcher's spill turn with the tug of the morning tide and leech to the midstream swill. Lightless boats unload their freight of malice and dismay, bringing the bright and beautiful to ruin in a day. All the stones are cold and blind, all the winds are ill, and all the birds are silent and all the fish are still. No one stands where you now stand without feeling the pull the river brings to flesh and blood when rolling at the full. So take a step, and take a step, and take a step away, for you and I are set to meet by here another day. When the water's at the flood and fierce and colder than my hand, as I take you past the bankside trees out to the last of the land, and the running river tells a tale of the life you should have led, and the stars and moon are the first you see of the reachless riverbed. David Harsant, Ballad, from his collection, Night.
So thank you. Thank you all so very much for listening. Uh, thank you to the station for having me in on this whirlwind tour of contemporary British poetry. Um, the bibliography of these poets and poems will be available uh, on the WRBH SoundCloud page. Again, my name is Benjamin Morris. Thank you so much for your kind attention. I hope you've enjoyed our time together. And all I will say to say farewell is to say read widely and often. And as the British themselves would say, cheers. That was poet Benjamin Morris. And you've been listening to Figure of Speech, a new community poetry and writing program from WRBH. Tune in Saturdays at 1 p.m. and every Monday at 9 p.m. for more great New Orleans writing. Thank you for listening.